ahead. So this morning, I want to have a look at two passages um, from the Bible today. Um, And the first one is found in the book of Numbers, starting, um, we'll have a look at um, chapter 13 in Numbers. If you're not sure where Numbers is, if you go right to the start of the Bible in Genesis, and then you can just go a little bit on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, um, and there you'll find it. And then we'll also be looking at the book of Joshua. So just go on a little bit further and you'll find Joshua. I want to follow on from um, Phil's message last Sunday about running the race. You know, um, we looked at running the race and uh, I have no marathon experience, which no shocks you um, to draw on. OK, if I was to talk about running a race, it would be the egg and spoon at school or the uh, a sack race. I'm not a marathon runner um, here today. Um, but today I want to have a look at perspective about the choices that we make in life, how we look at things um, in life and how the way we look at different situations and the way we look at things um, makes a difference to how we move forward in our race. Okay, so I want us to have a look at how we look at things and our perspective on things as we move forward. And my prayer for each one of us this year, I can say that because it's the final Sunday in January. Can you believe we've got through January already? And when you think of it like a twelfth of the way through the year, it's quite frightening really to think how quickly things move. Do you find that things move quicker as you get older? Do you find? Yeah, definitely things go quicker. Um, But my prayer for each one of us this year is that we would take really bold steps of faith this year, that we would live an adventurous faith this year, that we would challenge ourselves in our faith this year. We would try things that we've never tried before this year. I pray that we'll start discovering and using the spiritual gifts that we've been given. Okay, uniquely, each one of us, different spiritual gifts that we've been given. I pray that this would be the year that we discover those and we start using them. I really pray that this year will be uh, the year where we, each one of you will lead at least one person to Jesus, at least. Okay, maybe more, but at least one person to Jesus. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Can you imagine that if this time next year we would be double the size if we led just one person to Jesus? I pray that this year we'd find freedom from things that we've struggled with. This would be a freedom year, things that we've battled with for many years, maybe, or had a hold on our lives, that this year would be the year that we can find freedom and a year that we discover the joy of giving and the joy of serving. And I really pray that this year will be the best year ever for you and for us as a church, that we would look back and say, this was a fantastic year. Look at all that God has done through me as an individual and through us as a church congregation. The Bible tells us that it's really important from time to time that we should just reevaluate, take stock and have a look at our lives and um, where they're going. And this morning, I want us to think about losing some of that excess weight. Okay, it's not a Weight Watchers class. Okay, but we're going to think about losing some of that excess weight and excess baggage that maybe we carry um, that slow us down that slow us down in the race of life. Hebrews 12 verse 1 tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin 
that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And you know, it's interesting that in that verse, it mentions both sin and weight. Sin and weight, different things, okay? Sin is sin. It's the things we do that you know aren't that great and it's just wrong, okay? That's what sin is. Okay, and it's the pretty much the same for each person. But weight can vary from person to person. Okay, not just your physical weight, but the weight of something we do can vary from person to person. So put in another way, what is a weight to someone might not be a weight to another person. Okay, so what weighs someone down heavily might not be a weight to somebody else, just like we have different metabolisms in our body, okay? Some people can eat whatever they like and never put on weight. I don't like those people. Sorry if you're one of them, but they can just eat and eat and eat and they never seem to put on weight. I'll tell you, if you're under 30, it's coming to you, all right? Um, But other people seem to go into a cake shop, look at a cake, and 10 pounds sticks to them, doesn't it? That just seems to be what happens. And you might see someone doing something as a Christian and say, oh, they do that, so obviously that's fine for me to do. That's okay for me to do that thing, but not necessarily, Not necessarily. What might be okay for them might be a weight to you. Now, you might be thinking, what am I talking about? Well, there might be a relationship in your life that's not necessarily wrong. It's not necessarily a sin, so to put it, but actually it's draining you and it's weighing you down in your Christian walk with God. There might be something that you're doing that isn't particularly bad or a sin, but it just isn't great for you. It's hindering your spiritual walk and it's slowing you down in the race of life. Now, I know I've given you this example before, but one example of this is the only example I could really think that might illustrate this, is that many people play games on their mobile phones, don't they? and games on iPads and games on things. And that's not a sin, (laughs) okay? That is fine to do. People enjoy that. People play games and do games and all sorts of things. But, you know, a couple of years ago, I realized for me that that was a problem, actually, because I could find myself more engrossed in just playing, I don't know, I like puzzle games, okay? So a puzzle game, then actually the first thing was opening my Bible in the morning, but actually it was weighing me down. It was actually slowing me down. It can be something that seems insignificant and trivial, but you actually know I'm wasting loads of time on this thing. I'm wasting loads of time, and my children want my attention, or I'm just, like, distracted. So it's not necessarily a sin, but it's weighing me down. For other people, it's fine. People can just play a game off we go. No problem at all. But it's, that, it's those kind of things that can be a weight on our spiritual lives. So periodically, from time to time, it's good for us to look at our lives and have a look at those things and think, actually, um, does this encourage me? Does it speed me on my way on the race that we were talking about last week? Or is it slowing me down? Is it hindering me? Is it weighing me down? Is it beneficial? Is it constructive? Is it speeding me on 
or causing a hindrance and weighing me down. You know, the best way to move forward, we all know, is to look forward, okay? You don't drive your car, hopefully, with your head behind you, um, or we're all told not to look at our mobile phones when we're driving, or look at our steering wheel, or even our bonnet. We look ahead, don't we? We look ahead to where we're going, otherwise we're going to crash. Many years ago, I haven't got a clue what possessed her, but my mum decided to ride a bike, okay? Um, now, what possessed her, I don't know, because the last time she rode a bike as a teenager, she fell off and broke her arm, okay? So um, we decided to go on a bike ride up to the post office at the top of the road, okay? And so she took us as children, and we were cycling up the road to the post office, and I don't know what she did. She probably, I think she was looking behind, checking we were okay, but when we came round the corner, corner all we found was the bike in the middle of the road and my mum with her legs out of the bush okay she had literally cycled straight into the bush as she took the corner okay because she wasn't looking where she was going okay she went straight into careering into head first into the bush okay and that's what happens isn't it when we don't look where we're going we're going to have a crash And do you know that the way that we look at things will start to affect the way we we live our lives? The way that we look at things, the way we view at things matters. And it begins first and foremost with our understanding and the way we view God. That's how it starts. That's what it begins with. How we view God will determine how we live our lives. It will affect the choices we make. It will affect who we decide to marry. It will affect everything about the way we live. There's not an area of our lives that won't be impacted by the view that we have of God. And I want to have a look at that this morning. Take problems, crisis, tragedies that come into our lives. We all get those things. They all hit our lives. And if we have a big God then we have relatively small problems. And if you have big problems and a small God, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Now, I'm not saying that some problems aren't massive. We have huge problems in our lives. Some people go through things time and time again, tragedies, circumstances, and you think, gosh, they're just hit constantly by thing after thing after thing. But what I can tell you with confidence today is that God is bigger than any of those things. Our God is so much bigger than any of the things in our lives. We need to carry that perspective as we go through life. God is bigger, more awesome, more powerful than anything we face in our lives. So we're going to come to the passage in the book of Numbers. And before we read these verses together, let's just have a little bit of background. This is a story which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with, where the um, children of Israel have just come out of Egypt, come out of from slavery under the bondage of Pharaoh and they are just about ready to enter into Canaan, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They're just on the very verge of entering the land and they decide they're going to send in 12 spies to go and check out the land, to go and scout it out, to go and see what is happening there. They want to check it out. 
And when they return, they bring this report. And I want to read it to you um, from Numbers, starting in verse 25. It'll be up on the screens here. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of the wilderness of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, as a little side note here, when they showed them the fruit of the land, when I read this, it said that they brought two, it took two of them to carry a bunch of grapes, two men to carry a bunch of grapes. So can you imagine how big these grapes were, you know, like huge, like watermelon sized grapes, you know, you wouldn't say I'll have a few grapes in my lunchbox, you'd have a grape that would last you a week. They were huge. Okay. So they brought, showed him the fruit of the land and they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. That's what the majority brought back. That's what the majority of the spies said. Now, if we go to verse 30, this is the minority report, okay? But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it. Back to verse 31. This is back to the majority. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are of great height, they're giants. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Okay, we'll leave it there for a moment. This is a really incredible story. Twelve spies are sent in to check out this land and ten bring back a bad report and two bring back a good one. Interestingly, they all went in, they all saw the same thing. They all saw exactly the same thing, but they came back with a different report. It really came down to the way in which they viewed God, in the way in which they viewed God. And it's all about how we look at things. There's the majority report. There's the one that the majority came back with. They didn't see God for who he is, but all-powerful, almighty, awesome God. They just saw problems. They just saw the problems. They saw obstacles. They saw challenges. They saw that they were going to be defeated. They saw giants. The very idea of going into this land absolutely terrified them. They were so afraid. That's because they had a small God, and so they had big problems because their God was so small. 
And you know, I want to just add a side in here about how often we miss the call of God because we place so many obstacles before we've even got going on what he's asked us to do. This Christmas, you know, we decided to do the Christmas bus. And when we met as a team, we knew God said, do a Christmas bus, go out. Don't ask people to come to you, go out, okay? And now I'm really grateful for someone who said to me, don't let the obstacles stand in the way before the call of God on that project. Because the second we presented it, which is great, but you get, well, you're going to need a license. Where are you going to get a bus from? It's going to be too big to go on the road. You're going to need a special insurance. Who's going to be the driver? which is all right and good, but you can look at the obstacles and think, oh yeah, they're right. This is overwhelming. We're going to have to stop. We're going to have to change tack and do something different before you've even had a go at what God is calling you to do. Do we look at the obstacles or do we look at the call of God and hold on to it and say, no, my God's bigger. He will provide. He'll make a way because this is God and he wants us to do it. And that's the way we need to be. Now, we've heard the minority report from Joshua and Caleb. They saw the land. They saw the size of the opposition. They saw the fortified cities. They weren't blind to those things. But they knew how powerful God was and is. And so they saw these obstacles as opportunities. They flipped it round. They were no longer obstacles, but they were opportunities to see God move. And their summary was, let's go attack. Let's go. Let's go take the land. Let's go in the land that's flowing with milk and honey and producing these great big grapes and an amazing place to live. Let's go. Let's go and attack. You know, in the same way, there are people who look at challenges and difficulties in life and they look in different ways at the same situation. You know, there's always people in life who are unwilling to take a risk, who are risk adverse, who really don't have, if I'm honest, much vision or much faith to go for things. They have no interest in change whatsoever. I don't want things to change because I'm happy the way they are. You know, we need to be people who are looking for the opportunities that God is giving us. This week on the news, I don't know if you're watching the um, channel news, but one piece on Guernsey was simply about the young people hanging down the bus terminus. I don't know if you saw it. They were saying that people are afraid and uh, feeling uncomfortable walking down to the bus terminus because of the big crowds and groups of young people that have chosen this as their hangout destination. And the police officer who was there said, there's no antisocial behaviour, they're not causing any harm, it's just because there's lots of young people around that people are nervous about going through. Now, you could look at that report and you could think, oh, I'm not going to the bus terminus, there's lots of young people hanging around and uh, it's you know, a bit difficult to get through. Or you can think, Wow, there's an opportunity. Right, how are we going to go out? How are we going to reach these young people? Because there's loads of young people hanging around there who need a place to go, who need some purpose, need some direction, need someone to speak into their lives. And there's that opportunity. You see, very simply, we can watch the same thing and come out with two different approaches. What is God saying to us? What are we seeing as obstacles? But actually, God is giving us opportunities. It's all how we look at things. Some will look at something and say, 
what if God could do that? God can do that. God can make that change. God can change those young people's lives. Others will say, God could never do that. We could never do that. Are we looking at opportunities or obstacles? And my question this morning is, which side are you on? Which side are we sitting on today? Are we in the minority or the majority? Which side are we sitting in? Do we have a big God who does awesome things? Or do we have him made God too small and neat and tidy, really? Where are we this morning? Joshua and Caleb looked at the promised land as a place of opportunity and were excited about what God could do. Listen, I, if I, standing here this morning, had listened to all the people who had criticized me over the years, I would not be here Okay, if I'd listened to all the critics' voices, I would never have achieved anything. Right back from my ESB when I was 11 and told you'll never speak in front of anyone to um, different projects that we've led. And I'm sorry, again, if you know I've used this before, but many years ago, we did a project called Soul.com and we did it down in the Boet area of the island. And I'm so grateful to the team that we had around us from here, Colin in particular, who was fantastic, uh, just a great support. We were together in running this project and uh, we had questions like, it will never work. You're too young. You're too young to lead a project like this. Where is the money going to come from? You know, Um, and to this day, I don't know where the money came from, but we ended up with about 36 pounds in the bank. Um, But it was amazing. We were going to use the B&Q building, the old B&Q with a slope. Do you remember that building years ago? We were going to use that building and we had it. We're planning it all the way through and then we couldn't because it was going to be developed. Like, where are we going to go now? Where are we going to have meeting for people? We don't know. Miraculously, God gave us a field in the middle of the Boet, a field that we could just put things Tents up, marquees up. We had a man who said to us, you're not doing this on this land. I'm going to raise the clamour to Harrow. You know, the, the Guernsey thing. There's Colin like debating with him on the side, like in only way that Colin can only do um, to calm him down and settle his nerves. And we got there and we did it. And we had a thousand people on the final night worshipping Jesus from the community. Amazing to think what God can do. Was it a risk? Yes. Could we have failed? Yes, we could have done. But I would rather have a go and fail than never try at all, especially when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus. Are we looking at the obstacles or the opportunities? So here are the children of Israel. They're on the brink of entering into the promised land, but they did not enter. Why did they not enter? Why did they not get into the promised land? Firstly, they focused their attention on the obstacles rather than the objective, what they were going to do. Verse 28 says, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the giants. They only saw the problems. They didn't see how great God was. And when we fix our attention on the obstacle, Fear will always overcome our objective and stand in the way of faith. If we allow fear to get hold, then it squashes our faith. We need to keep our eyes on a big God and the call he's given us. Secondly, when you allow fear to grip you, everything else is affected. Everything is affected. Verses um, 2 to 4 in Numbers 14. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
the whole congregation said to them, would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is craziness. Have they forgotten how bad things were in Egypt? How it felt to be whipped and beaten and tortured and in slavery? But you know, the truth is, it's really sad, but so many followers of Jesus do exactly the same. They do exactly the same. At the first sign of opposition or difficulty or temptation, they collapse like the house. You know, we've been talking about the last few weeks we've mentioned it, the house that's built on the sand. They haven't got the firm foundation. Everything collapses. They thought that being a Christian was going to make life easier. Actually, it got tougher. Things got really tough. You know, we know the story of Gideon. Gideon in the Bible, when he was rallying around, building his army of men, ready to, f- to fight the formidable um, Midianites. He was getting his army together. And he said to the men, the Israelites, he said, if you're fearful and afraid, then go home. If you're fearful and afraid, go home. And many did. In fact, he was only left with an army of 300 men, of just 300 But guess what? God can do more with 300 committed, wholehearted men than he can do with an army of 10,000 half-hearted men. He can do more with people who are committed and wholehearted and giving their all. That's what God can do. There were giants in the land, but there will always be giants in the land. They will always be giants. And by that, I mean an obstacle, an opponent, a threat, something that's going on in your life, some difficulty. There will always be something that we're afraid of. And that leads us to number three. God doesn't want us to run from our giants. He wants us to attack our giants. He wants us to attack them. We all have giants to face. And it might be a person, a situation, an obstacle, something that makes you scared, something that even as you're sitting here today is looming large in your mind. There's something on your mind today, something that seems unbeatable. It might be the giant of fear, something that's frightening you. I don't know what that giant is, but you sit here today and you think, I don't know if I can ever overcome that thing in my life. It might be a giant in an area of your life where you feel weak and vulnerable, an area of your life that you fall into time and time and time again. There's something going on. It could be a giant of threat, someone taunting you, all different kinds of giants, a prodigal child, a family member who you long to come to know Jesus. What do you do with these giants, these difficulties, these obstacles, these addictions sometimes? The best thing to do is to force the giant, to get the giant out of the darkness and put it in the light, to place it in the light. For example, if you're struggling in an area of weakness in your life, The worst thing we can do is keep it into ourselves and try and deal with it ourselves because what we end up doing is making excuses for it and reasoning why we do that thing and why it's there and we give power to it. 
but actually by getting it into the light, admitting that actually I'm struggling with this, it's open, it's out there, we can deal with it. My parents growing up used to always say, if you've got a problem, share it, you know, because once it's out, it's out and we can cope with it then. But once it's in, in, while it's inside, we try and struggle on, on our own. We need to call on God, pray for his power, attack our giants. That's what we need to do. We don't negotiate with them. We attack them. And you know what? We cut off their head. That sounds a bit dramatic this morning, but that's what we do. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? We will have known that story from many years ago. Many of us grew up in um, Sunday schools learning the story of David and Goliath. That would be a story that was familiar to us. There's a giant of a man named Goliath. He was six, nine feet, six inches tall of solid muscle. Can you imagine if he walked in now? Nine feet, six inches. That's huge. I've got some uncles who are six foot six or something ridiculous, and they're huge, okay? And they look like giants, but this guy was massive, okay? He was solid muscle. He was a warrior since he was a young man. He would have been covered in armor. This was Goliath. Stood there with his spear and his sword, taunting and shouting at the Israelites, you know, day in, day out, you know, come and have a go if you think you're hard enough, you know, all that kind of stuff. He was taunting, taunting, taunting them all the time, moving closer to them, trying to take their territory, because that's what giants do. They're not satisfied to stay where they are. They want more, 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 try and claim more territory. Israel is paralyzed with fear paralyzed with fear. Back in the house of Jesse, there's this little guy called David, and he gets sent out to take his brothers a packed lunch, some bread and some cheese, a bit like, if you think about it, like a pizza delivery for his, for his brothers, okay? He's taking it out to the front line. They're fighting. He's taking them out a pizza delivery, okay? And he goes there, and he says, hey, who's that? Here's that big giant gobbin off in the corner. Who's that? And they say, oh, that's Goliath, you know. He wants one of us to come and fight him. No one will take him on. And David says, I'll do it. I'll go. I'll fight him. And they're like, what? You, little David, you go and fight him? Yeah, I'll go. And so he goes to King Saul and he says, "Um, I'll fight that giant. And Saul's like, you know, you and what army? And he said, no, me. Me, I'll go and fight him. I've got God on my side. So Saul gives him his armor. We know this, don't we? And it's too big and it's clunky and it's ridiculous. And David says, no, 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 no. I'll go on my own. In God's strength, I'll go. So there he goes. And we know the rest of the story. He takes his little slingshot and uh, he finds five smooth pebbles and he puts one in his slingshot and he swings it round and he lets it go. And like a missile, it flies out and it hits the Goliath, the giant between the eyes and Goliath collapses to the ground. Now, the bit we don't, I don't know why we don't tell it, because it'd be much more exciting in children's ministry, is the next bit, when he goes over, takes out Goliath's sword and chops his head off. Okay, that's a good bit, okay? Um, So that's what happens. You cut the giant's head off, okay? How much more exciting is that? That's how you deal with a giant. You attack it. So instead of running from it and saying, I'll never beat this giant, you go after it just like David did. He did it because he trusted in God. And he said, you come up me with spear and sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And we sing and sing again, don't we? The battle belongs to the Lord. That's what we sing. The battle belongs to you. We sing that song a lot. And we need to understand that he that is in you 
is greater than he that is in the world. It's time to attack. So how do I attack? Who do I attack? Do I attack the person causing me difficulty? No. Please do not go out with a sword tomorrow morning and chop off the head of the person who's bugging you. I will be in trouble, okay? Um, No, we attack the giant, okay? You attack the power that has the control. And this is where spiritual warfare comes in, okay? Knowing how to use the armor of God, We pray, we pray and pray and pray that God in his almighty power would bring victory into this situation. Start by praying. Get Christian friends to pray with you specifically. Pray into this. Speak God's word over it. Bring God into the situation who's all-powerful, almighty, our big, our massive God who's bigger than any giant. Bring God into the situation. So let's wrap up this story this morning. Those um, original, those Israelites, they didn't want to go into the promised land. They didn't want to enter in. They listened to the majority report. And so God said, what did he say? Fine, go wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Go and walk around in the wilderness. Go and stay in the wilderness for 40 years. And they wandered around in circles for 40 years in a self-imposed wilderness. It was a choice that they made. They were in that wilderness, wandering around in circles, doing the same things over and over. And you know what? I think sadly, many of us as Christians find ourselves in a self-imposed wilderness. We wander around doing the same things, learning the same things over and over again, making the same mistakes and mess ups over and over again. That's our lives always struggling. You know, we don't have to live in a wilderness. We can live in a land of victory. That's what we're called to do as Christians. You can enter into a place where we can conquer our giants. That's what we're being called to do. How do we do that? Let's look at Joshua 14. I haven't forgotten. You thought I had. Joshua 14, 7 to 12. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke his word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is my strength is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country. This was after all the wilderness whiners have gone. They've died, but Joshua and Caleb are alive. Why? Because they sent that minority report and they trusted that in God. And now Caleb wants to enter in. He's an old man. 
Okay, sorry, if you're 85 years old here today, you're old. Okay, sorry. Um, that's rude, I know. But um, he's 85 years old and he's an old man. And he says, give me this hill country. That's what he says. 85 years old, I'm ready to fight. We think old men can't do that. They're frail. They can't do that. But God gives us strength for what he's called us to do. It's God's strength and God's strength alone. And even though Caleb was older, he had not lost his strength because his love for God burned so strongly, such a strong passion for God. And the secret found in verse 9 says, I wholly followed the Lord. I wholly followed the Lord. You know, now is the time to live wholeheartedly for Jesus to give everything we have for Jesus. There isn't a time for us to be half-hearted or a bit not bothered, okay? We need to be passionate about Jesus. If God is God and who he says he is, then let's get on with it. Let's get on with doing what God is calling us to do. Let's follow him with all of our heart. And if God isn't God, then let's get on with enjoying all the world has to give us, all the pleasures of the world, everything that there is. If God isn't God, let's go and do that. But let's lose our hope of eternity. You know, if we cannot live anymore in two worlds, because we'll never be happy. If we're living half-heartedly, we'll have too much of Jesus to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy living for Jesus. We need to be whole-hearted. It's time to step up and say, I'm whole-heartedly following Jesus and his plan that I have. And if you will say that, we will be able to say, give me this hill country. Give me this hill country. I want to fulfill the plan and the vision and live in the land of plenty that God has promised for me when I follow him. I don't know what you're facing right now, but the one thing I know for sure 100% is that God is bigger than any obstacle that you are facing. He is bigger. I know that God is more powerful than any opposition you are facing. I know that God is stronger than that giant that you are facing. And if you will look at these things through the eyes of faith, not positive thinking. You know, there's loads of great positive thinking quotes out there, but they are, let's not mistake them. They are not the word of God. We need the word of God, not just positive thoughts. Okay, if we will look at them through the eyes of faith and get the word of God into our lives, then I'm telling you, we will overcome these obstacles and they will become opportunities for building the kingdom of God and doing what he has called you to do. We are not called to be lukewarm. We are not called to be lukewarm. In fact, the Bible tells us that we'll be spewed out, you know, vomited out. That's a big word. It's not, you know, spew is a bit polite, you know, barfed out. That's what we'll be if we're lukewarm, okay? We just can't sit in the middle somewhere, this half-hearted faith. We need to be passionate for Jesus, totally committed to him. That's what Caleb was. And if you are sitting here today and you're thinking, oh, I've never actually made that commitment to Jesus, and I'd encourage you for the first time to make that commitment to Jesus. If you need to make a recommitment because you've been under the control of a giant in your life, you've realized that a giant has actually had control. 
I haven't been in control. I haven't been letting Jesus take control of my life because that giant's been swallowing me up. You've become overwhelmed by your obstacle. You've been living a half-hearted life. Then taking communion, coming round and taking communion today for the first time in the new year is the perfect opportunity to put that right. Let's start afresh. Let's recommit and say, Jesus, I'm going to live wholeheartedly for you. I'm not going to let anything hold me back. I'm going to give it all for you. That is the secret to staying spiritually strong in the race. You make a commitment and you recommit every single day. You have to do it every day. Just think, God, I'm in this for you today. 